You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.podomatic.com. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast, and I'm just sitting here uh, with the microphone. I just decided to start recording something. I'm just going to keep talking and just see what happens, basically. So uh, I've got the TV on in front of me, and uh, there's various things on the, on the telly uh, this time of the evening, and uh, generally just sort of sitting around. And I, so uh, it's one of those ones where I have to just keep talking uh, and somehow make it uh, make sense and uh, make it about something in particular. Um, what I... You know, I've done this before with other episodes. What I sometimes do is kind of like pick something up and start talking about it. Um, and I'm just sort of waiting for the inspiration to hit me uh, right now of just what exactly it is I'm going to start talking about. What I do have here actually is a bottle of uh, an empty bottle of Japanese green tea, uh, which I bought at the local Thai supermarket, which is just up the road. And added to that, for lunch today, I ate um, some Japanese sushi in a little takeaway place nearby. And so that just made me think of like food and the different types of food that we eat. Um, and, you know, I lived in Japan for two years and I definitely think that when I lived there, uh, I was living very healthily. You know, I just um, managed to uh, eat lots of really good food. So all the kind of fresh fish that they have, it's completely fresh, not cooked at all. It's totally clean completely delicious it's amazing actually how much fish is consumed in tokyo every day and while i was there i went to a big market in tokyo called tsukiji market which is a huge fish market and there every night they pull in all of the uh, fish which have been caught um in the past you know few hours or whatever they bring it all in and uh then it's all transported around and sold off in different little market areas and some fish are kind of sold at auction and things like that so one day um when i was in japan my cousin ollie was visiting me and me uh, him and a flatmate of mine all decided to go to see tsukiji market right but you can't just go uh, in the morning you have to go you know basically in the middle of the night because it opens at about half past four so we decided that we would go along to the local area and find a karaoke room so we booked we, we went into this karaoke room and we had something like i don't know it was about four hours of karaoke and in those rooms in japan they're totally fantastic because these are little private rooms just big enough for like three or four people and you've got a big book of loads and loads of different songs lots of english songs and things plus a menu and a telephone on the wall so you can just call and order beer or food or whatever it is that you want so you can basically just sit in this room and have a little party and sing karaoke all night and then at about half past four we went um, outside and walked into the fish market and had a look around and they had some incredible arrays of fish uh, there just thousands and thousands and thousands of different fish everything you can imagine from the sea was pulled into this market it was incredible i think the most amazing room was where they were selling uh, these huge uh, tuna fish so they'd frozen these tuna fish and uh, like chopped the fins off them and they're just all lying there in these massive rows and they're being sold and bought at auction incredible amounts of fish being sold for probably quite a lot of money so it was an amazing experience and then after that we've visited the local sushi bars and there are little sushi bars that um just kind of open next to the market and that's where you get the freshest fish and uh, so we had some sushi there and it was absolutely delicious and it it really helped because we'd been eat we've been drinking beer all night and somehow the sushi kind of clean made us feel a bit cleaner again uh, and sort of stopped us having a, a hangover or something something maybe to do with just the fact that it's so fresh and so clean and all that fish has got like i guess a lot of protein in it um, and the rice kind of gives you energy, and it's kind of all you need, just a cup of green tea, some sushi, and um, it's absolutely delicious, that is. Um, so that just made me think of that, and then also this green tea, uh, which you can buy in bottles, and I remember when I lived in Japan, every morning I, in the winter, I'd go to the station, um, and in winter in Japan, it's quite dry, unlike in England, where it's quite wet and cold. In Japan, it's dry and cold. So, you know, you need something kind of hot to drink just to keep you warm and also to keep you hydrated. So every morning I would go to the station in uh, Tsujido, where I used to live, 
and I'd uh, go to the little kiosk um, on the platform and buy a bottle of hot uh, green tea which has come out of like a little heated cupboard and it's like a hot bottle of green tea and I drink that in the morning and I'm sure that that stopped me from catching colds a lot it really really helped me to sort of improve my immune system so I didn't get as many colds uh, and it really helped and I'd feel warm in the morning and sort of refreshed and full of vitamin C and stuff I definitely think it's a a good idea also I believe that uh, Korean food can be very uh, healthy for you as well because it contains lots of kind of chilies and different kinds of spices and garlic and things lots of vegetables sort of spiced vegetables and uh, I think what they call is uh, kimchi uh, which is kind of like pickled vegetables with lots of uh, chili and stuff on them so that apparently is like really good and really healthy for you and it's one of the reasons why uh, apparently like bird flu didn't spread in South Korea people say it was because South Koreans eat so much kimchi that they're like healthy as a result um, I just it just makes me think about food in in other countries now obviously I know more about Japanese food because I lived there in China uh, they pretty much will well, when it comes to, to meat, now I'm not sure if it's true everywhere in China, but I've certainly seen things on TV, for example, where you see these markets somewhere in China where kind of everything is on sale, like absolutely any possible food is on sale. And um, so they've got like big stalls covered in uh, uh, things like different types of insects on a stick. So you can have a, sort of like a scorpion on a stick, or you can eat a, a spider, for example. Um, and uh, it just makes me think, oh my God, I can't imagine oh, eating a spider on a stick. It would just be, oh, just completely disgusting. Um, and other things like lizards and snakes and stuff like that. And I don't know where it is, but um, I'm sure that somewhere people eat monkey brains and stuff. And I know that somewhere they eat like a fertilised um, chicken's egg. So that's not just a an egg, a normal egg, but one with an actual fetus inside it, and they eat that. That's pretty disgusting, I reckon. Um, it just makes me think of stuff that I've eaten in the past. Probably the weirdest things that I've eaten, from my point of view, would have been in Japan. And um, so, I mean, even even just down to the idea that you're eating a fish that was just moments ago still alive is kind of strange in a way. But uh, the fact that they eat a lot of stuff raw is quite interesting for, for us in England. We don't really expect people to eat raw food, as it were. So certainly when I first went to Japan and, um, and I first tried sushi, I was in, a, in an isakaya, which is like a sort of restaurant or a pub or something in Japan, and uh, someone ordered some sushi on the menu. And I remember just like eating, I think it was some tuna sashimi. Uh, and it was the first time I'd ever eaten sushi. It was only like the second or third day that I was in Japan. And um, I remember just eating it and thinking it tasted like the sea. It just, I just thought, that just tastes like the sea, you know? It didn't taste that good to me. But maybe that was just like a bad, you know, place to try my sushi for the first time. And a few weeks later, I was with my friend in Tokyo, and he took me to this really great rotary sushi restaurant in Shibuya. And we had like a few plates of sushi there, and that was absolutely delicious. And that really got me hooked on sushi. And then from then on, I would always like search the best places to get a nice, you know, set of salmon nigiris or something like that. Um, even now in London, you can get good sushi if you go to the right places. Probably the most popular choice is the Japan Centre, which is near Piccadilly Circus. And they've got a big supermarket there where you can buy things like bento boxes, um, you know, sashimi and sushi and different types of California rolls and things and all your green tea and beer, all the Japanese beer like Asahi and Kirin and all that stuff. You can get it all in the Japan Centre. And also at the back, they've got a big sort of um, supermarket where you can buy... Um, different types of tea, like really, really good types of green tea, and different uh, equipment, uh, utensils for the kitchen, all Japanese stuff. So that's really good. I love the way that Japanese stuff is like really useful and really well designed. Um, yeah, it just um, was great. So food in other places, I mean, I know in America, for example, they eat, they tend to eat bigger portions. I remember when I've been on holiday to America in the past, going to restaurants and just getting massive plates of 
huge amounts of food, just loads of it, you know, like twice what you'd get in England. And uh, it's quite common in America for them to like take some food home. If they don't finish it, they can take it home. So they put it in a doggy bag. You know, it's like, can you just can you just bag that, please? Uh, like put it in a bag, a doggy bag, which is kind of weird as well. I, I never do that in England. Uh, but the food I always remember was really delicious, like really proper sort of wholesome, chunky American food. It's just fantastic. And they don't do, they don't mess around. They do it properly. Like the hamburger, you know, really good American hamburger is just the best thing. Or something like their breakfast, waffles with maple syrup. Now that is just fantastic. Maybe put some bananas in there as well and just waffles, banana, maple syrup, bit of cream. That's absolutely delicious. Not very healthy, of course. Deeply unhealthy, but still somehow delicious. Um, I don't know where else. I mean, in South America, it makes me think of places like Argentina where you get these fantastic steaks, like really good beef steaks. Um, and, you know, they do these dishes where they kind of stick loads and loads of meat and beans in a pan in Brazil. Um, like loads and loads of different types of really good meat and loads of different types of beans and sauce go into a, a big pan and it all cooks up. and It looks absolutely fantastic. Um, of course, in Europe, in France, you can get really, really good food and they do their steaks and uh, all sorts of different types of dishes uh, which are really delicious. And their bread, I mean, just the, the baguettes that you get in the morning in in france are just the best i mean they're so so tasty when you buy one in paris for example it's really difficult to walk home with your bread under your arm without like eating some of the bread uh, while you're while you're walking because it's just so delicious especially when it's fresh um spain well i guess they have things like you know obviously pie what in england we call it paella but uh, i think it's paella or something like that which is which is a traditional dish but then also um sort of tortillas and things like that it's a delicious um chorizo really really nice spanish chorizo um it's italy of course is maybe maybe the most famous country for food because because of the pizza and spaghetti and lasagna and all those things just stunningly good food um I guess in Germany they have like you know sausages like sort of sauerkraut and is it brat brat bratwurst something like that some really good sausages I know that when I went to Berlin a few years ago I had some sort of sausage on a, on a kind of cardboard plate from a guy in the street uh, and it was really spicy like really hot and spicy and delicious really nice really good sausage um and other places, well, I guess, um, I don't really know Russia, I don't really know what the food is like, so I can't really, uh, I can't really say exactly that I've, I've had much Russian food, I mean, you know, they, they're in the supermarkets here, you get something called a chicken Kiev, um, which I don't know if that really is from the Ukraine, but uh, the chicken Kiev is basically like chicken, sort of chicken breast, but hollow in the middle, and with sort of garlic butter or garlic cheese in the middle. That's a chicken Kiev. I don't know if that's a traditional thing in Kiev in Ukraine or not, uh, but it was certainly delicious when, uh, when I used to eat it. Um, India, of course, which is um, home to the curry, which is an incredible dish and uh, something that we're very, very fond of here in the UK. Um, I mean, curry is pretty much the UK's number one favourite dish uh, in this country. Um, there are curry restaurants all over the place. In fact, in Birmingham, there are a particularly high number of curry houses, and um, they actually boast their own new kind of curry, which was developed in Birmingham, and that's the Balti curry, which is kind of curry cooked and served in a metal dish, which is still hot. Um, and um, just, wow, curry is amazing. It's like a totally different type of food, just that with that spice element to it. It's fantastic. And in a way, it makes total sense to prepare food like that, to cook the meat and put it in a sauce with all those spices and stuff, and then just serve that with bread or, or rice. It just means, seems to make perfect sense, and it's totally delicious food. Um, I guess I'm kind of running out of options. I mean, I don't know much about African food. Ethiopia, I mean, it, North Africa, I suppose it's kind of like that... Um, you know, lamb meats and rice and different types of bread and spiced 
uh, dishes and things like that, I suppose. I know in South Africa, I've had food, I haven't been to South Africa, but I've had dishes which are kind of uh, like a kind of minced beef, but very spicy, uh, with some kind of topping, just really, really good spicy um, sort of red meats and stuff. Um, it's Yeah, it's all good. It's all delicious. So I guess I've pretty much covered the subject of food, but I don't think I've... I've totally dealt with it. There's still loads and loads of stuff that I could talk about uh, when it comes to food. And I'm planning to do other episodes in the future where I deal with uh, the subject of food more more sort of uh, comprehensively, I think. Um, I think that's probably fair to say, comprehensively. So, let's see. At the moment, I am in the process of um, preparing uh, myself to get, to buy, to purchase a new kitchen and this is actually quite a big deal. I don't know what it's like in your countries, but if you have to uh, get a, you know, like a new kitchen installed, uh, in England it's like a big hassle. It's really annoying and difficult. First of all, you have to sort of measure your own kitchen and get a basic idea of how big all the surfaces are and everything. And then you would take those measurements to different kitchen providers. So high street shops or shops like IKEA, we call it IKEA in the in the UK, although I think in most other countries you call it IKEA. Um, places like John Lewis or Magnet or Homebase, B&Q, these are all shops where you might purchase a kitchen. Then you go to those places and you try and arrange uh, for them to come out and send an agent to come and measure your kitchen. Um, and he kind of comes and then, you know, you get all these different um, people who come from different places to come and measure your kitchen. And uh, then, well, actually, some of them are better than others. So IKEA were very good. Magnet were very, uh, very good as well. But the shop that really disappointed me was called Homebase, which is a very sort of uh, common shop in the UK. There are lots of Homebase stores all over the country. But uh, in my experience, they were absolutely rubbish because, um, let's see, I went, first of all, to Homebase um, to arrange an appointment so that someone could come out and measure my kitchen. So I went there, searched around the kitchen area. There were no members of of staff to be found anywhere. Uh, Walking around, I finally found some people uh, behind a desk on the ground floor, and there was a queue of about three or four people waiting to see them. So I stood in the queue. Every single person who went up to the members of staff had some kind of complaint or problem, and these members of staff just didn't care. They just didn't seem to really care about the problems that these people were having and they were even sort of talking to each other a little bit behind the counter they just didn't you know didn't care so a big queue of unhappy customers and I finally got there and I said yeah I need to arrange for someone to come and see my kitchen please I want you to send an agent to come and measure it Um, is there someone from the kitchens department who can see me and um, the guy was like yeah 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 Dave Dave will look after you So I followed Dave upstairs and Dave uh, sat me down and he said, right, so have you got measurements? I said, no, I want someone to come out and measure my kitchen. So he said, oh, right, okay." So we agreed on a date. He said, yeah, someone will come out on that date. So I went home. That date arrived and no one appeared. No one came at all. I, I, I waited at home for someone to arrive. Nothing. No response. I had nothing. A couple of hours later, they called me and said, um... This is about your appointment. And I said, yeah, where were you? And they said, well, actually, you were supposed to come in to the store. And I said, well, that's not what I understood. I was uh, led to believe that someone would come and see me. Um, And so they said, oh, right, we're very sorry about that. You need to come into the store to uh, show us your measurements. So I was like, oh, right, okay." So another date arrived and I went into store with my measurements knowing full well that my kitchen is a bit too complicated for me to really present it to them properly so anyway I went in and I saw Dave again and uh, went through my measurements and about half an hour in he said this is a bit complicated I think I need to come and see the kitchen first and I was like yeah I know I was you know that's the whole point that's what I wanted you to do in the first place so we agreed on another date and on that particular date where Dave was supposed to come and measure my kitchen nothing no response no call from Dave I stayed in all day to wait for him nothing not a sausage and so um, that's it basically I haven't heard anything from them ever since 
I tried to, twice to get someone to come and measure my kitchen. They failed on both attempts. So I don't recommend home base. I think they were an absolute waste of time. Um, so there you go. If, if home base uh, are planning to open stores in your country, then I, I would just think twice about uh, getting a kitchen from them at any rate. I think you're probably safe. I think home base are probably going to stick to the UK. And possibly, even after this episode of the podcast gets published, who knows, maybe their share price is going to drop dramatically. Maybe this is all just sort of a way, a clever way for me to drop the share price of home base before I sort of buy up all their shares in an aggressive takeover bid. And then when the shares finally rise again, I'll I'll become the owner of the company and I will sort of, you know, take over this kitchen empire which they've created. Maybe that's what I'm doing. It's up to you to decide whether you think that's true or not. Uh, but uh, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Huh? Where, where, you know, have you thought of that? Have you considered that? I, I don't know. I have no idea, really. Because uh, at the moment, I'm actually struggling now to find another topic to, to begin to talk about. And, uh, you know, it's a bit, a bit tricky now because I'm, I'm sort of, I have to keep talking. That, that's the rules of this episode. Uh, I think for at least half an hour. So I've got like about 10 minutes left and I have to just keep talking, even though I can't really even think of something else which I should say. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just going to have to keep going. So let's see. OK, I've got a watch. I've got a watch, right? My, my, um, my dad once, uh, back in the 90s, went to Poland on business because he, he's a journalist and a broadcaster and stuff. And he went to Poland to do some training, I think. While he was there, he, went, he visited a market and he picked up this, this watch. Um, and he bought it, and he, he brought it back to England, he gave it to me, and I loved it, it was an absolutely brilliant watch, because it was an old Soviet-era, like, army, army soldier's watch, which has um, got, like, a Soviet red uh, star on it, and a picture of a tank in the middle, this really cool-looking picture of a tank, and then sort of, like, the outer rim of the watch kind of swivels round, and it's got red and, and black dots on it, and that, that was, like, the coolest watch I've I, I ever had and I just kept it I've kept it ever since and I think he gave it to me when I was about 13 years old and uh, I've still got it and I still wear it and still use it and uh, so that's when I was 13 so that's about over 20 years ago now and I still wear it and every now and then um, some Russian student might see it and they say what's this where did you get this watch um, and I tell them that you know my dad bought it in a market and so apparently they're very surprised because these are these are quite interesting artifacts. These watches, uh, because they're kind of a, a sort of remnant of a like a Soviet uh, a past, a Soviet era gone by. And I think the watch still looks really cool because that kind of Russian design, that Soviet sort of design uh, from whatever from like the 40s or 50s, that um, um, is actually kind of really cool. It's quite in at the moment, or at least it was a while ago. Um, for example, the sort of there there are other um, sort of posters which are like that. Do you know? Have you ever seen the Obey posters? So it might be Obey Andre the Giant, or just a, a like a logo with a sort of weird face on it, but in a kind of uh, Stalinist Soviet kind of design format, and it says Obey underneath it. Um, that was like a weird sort of um, graffiti project by some guy in I think it was in America who first of all created these stickers which said Obey Andre the Giant with a picture of Andre the Giant who was a wrestler, I think. And it's like his face in black and white. And then it got adapted and became a sort of more stylized sort of face with the word Obey written underneath it. And then this sticker uh, just became a phenomenon because it got stuck everywhere in these different locations, usually in cities. And you would see this sticker with the word Obey written on it and just made you think, what is this? And it was just an interesting um, way in which sort of graffiti was used as a marketing tool for, for nothing in particular other than just itself. It was just really weird. And I guess now, I, I imagine Obey sort of makes some money somehow by selling T-shirts or stickers or something. So it's a very weird phenomenon, actually. Um, it also makes me think of Banksy. Now, uh, if you listen to my mini podcasts, then you might have heard me talk about Banksy before. But uh, you, you should probably know, I, I don't know, I wonder if people will know who Banksy is. He's, um, he's a sort of celebrated um, graffiti artist from London who probably over the last 10 years or so 
you know, grew to, to fame uh, after sort of claiming to have uh, made various works of graffiti all around London. Most of them were done in a kind of stenciled style. So someone had created a stencil and then they just spray uh, black paint over the stencil and it kind of leaves a, a picture on the wall. And so most of those were, were sort of stenciled works, some of them more complicated than others. Um, but in the end, uh, they were each work was like really interesting, and very funny, and very sort of satirical. And so it was interesting to to see all of these different bits of work crop up. And then there were sort of the launch of his book, and I think exhibitions by him, and then a movie called um, Exit Through the the Gift Shop, which I haven't actually seen, but um, just interesting how the whole Banksy phenomenon really snowballed and became sort of much more successful later on, almost like a product. But I think uh, Exit Through the Gift Shop kind of explains everything. So I think I ought to watch that. I think it's probably a very interesting, insightful thing. But some of the, the points that Banksy makes in his book um, are really interesting, particularly about advertising. Because um, when you think about it, advertising just sort of is displayed in public places uh, these are areas which you know are just general general kind of public zones um, you don't get the idea that they're owned by a corporation or company or something just general public places like in the street um, and there are just these posters everywhere just taking up a lot of your your sort of you know landscape or what you can see is just posters for different products and things. And you don't ask for those pictures to be presented for, for you. You know, you don't have any choice whether they're there or not. And yet somehow they're allowed to just take up all this space, uh, shouting these messages at you, um, attempting to, to convince you to buy their products. And often they use very, very sort of careful psychological methods uh, of as ways of um, getting the product into your head. So it could be suggesting that perhaps, you know, someone else is having a lot of fun or that the fun is happening somewhere else and that you're not involved in it. So you need to, like, buy this product in order to get involved in all of this fun which is happening elsewhere. Um, or maybe they kind of s suggest that you're, qu you're not quite as beautiful as you should be and that buying this product will kind of fix that and you'll be, you you'll be able to go more beautiful or more cool or more successful or whatever it is. So all of these, these messages, these visuals are taking up our, our sort of eye vision in our public spaces. Um, but, um, and yet somehow when you, when you do graffiti... Um, you're kind of doing the same thing. You're just putting sort of messages or images on in public spaces. That's illegal. Um, and Banksy talks about the fact that advertising, uh, you know, we don't ask for it to be there. It shouts for our attention. And yet we're not allowed to, to draw pictures on it or write any kind of response on an advert. You know, adverts often will answer questions. They'll ask you questions. Uh, and, and yet you're not allowed to write a response on there. Uh, why not? So um, his his justification for doing graffiti was that it was a kind of response to the way that advertising just takes up all our public space and that it's all protected by law, uh, and yet graffitiing is, um, you know, is illegal. And to an extent, I kind of agree with that. I certainly agree with the idea that um, advertising just is just presented to us without our choice. It's just given to us. Um, and we're just sort of expected to accept it and expected to even agree with the things that they write on there. But I don't, definitely. I think that when I um, see adverts on TV or when I see adverts on posters, I just um, automatically just disagree with them. I don't know what it is. I know it's because essentially they are trying to get me to think in a certain way. And, you know, they will, they will make statements like um, basically instructions, imperatives, you know, like, uh, what is it, drink Coca-Cola. Um, and I just think, well, no, no, you can't just tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to drink. Or um, there's there's an advert for, I think, a Mazda car with Kylie Minogue. And uh, what happens in the advert is that there are, first of all, a sequence of, like, drummers all playing the drums. And they're all pretty good at playing the drums. And they're all sort of going, you know, playing the drums and stuff. And then this Mazda drives along a road in a city somewhere and uh, the door closes and the drums stop and it's silent. And you see Kylie and she puts her finger to her lips and goes, shh, 
join the quiet revolution. And I just think, no, I don't want to join the quiet revolution. You know, she's instructing me to join the quiet revolution. But, um, but no, I don't want to. Um, so I kind of agree with that idea. We don't have to agree with, with advertising. We don't have to accept it. Um, so feel free to just sort of disagree with it. And I, I agree with the idea of, for example, writing a response to an advert or sort of writing graffiti on adverts, I think that's fine. If that space is there for, like, us to give messages to each other, then sure, why not? Why not make it an open forum rather than just uh, putting it in, in the sort of hands of, of the advantaged people, the companies? Um, and yet, at the but at the same time, I don't necessarily agree with graffiti either because a lot of it just seems to be quite destructive and isn't particularly good. It doesn't even give a message or, or, or anything. I'm mainly talking about tagging. And that's just a tag is like basically someone's name. They just write it somewhere. And I guess some tags can be quite cleverly drawn and the design of it is quite good. But... Um, Often they just sort of make the, uh, something look a bit uglier. I, th I like graffiti, which is clever and which is a sort of a work of art and which maybe has a message or a joke in it or something. That's the kind of graffiti that I agree with in certain kind of chosen locations or maybe on advertising spaces or something like that. Um, you know, that's what I that's what I reckon. Um, so so there you go. That's my my piece on sort of graffiti and Banksy and advertising and stuff like that. Right. Well, I think that um, I think probably after about thirty minutes, that's probably probably it. But um, usually at the end of these sorts of rambling episodes, I come to some kind of conclusion, and I haven't really done that in this episode. Um, I can't even remember to be honest the things that I've talked about because I've just been rabbiting on, just desperately trying to keep talking and talking and talking and talking, and I, I just my memory has just been wiped just by doing this. I don't know which uh, subject I talked about already. Um, so I think I'm going to draw this episode to a close. I very much hope that you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Luke's English Podcast. Only half an hour this time, but there will be more episodes coming up in the future. I've got loads and loads and loads of ideas. It's just a question of time and uh, just being industrious enough to get down and just record them. I've got all kinds of weird ideas. I've got an idea for a game in which uh, I give you directions uh, to a location. You've got to follow those di those directions on Google Maps. So I'm going to kind of pick a place on Google Maps and give you directions from that place to another place. And you've got to try and work out by following my directions on the map where I'm going. I think it's a genuine way to actually uh, play a game, like an interactive game with you. Uh, through the podcast is to use this Google Maps idea and following my directions. I think it's amazing. I can actually give you these instructions and then you'll be able to play a kind of interactive game with me. Uh, so that's hopefully on its way. I've also been working on a zombie story. This is like a little story about zombies, um, perhaps similar to the mystery story that um, you may have heard on the podcast. Um, so we're going to have a zombie story as well. And I'm also hoping to do something about a zombie survival guide. Um, now, I have to be quite careful when I talk about things I'm going to do in the future on the podcast, because sometimes, you know, I say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then something sort of comes up between now and then, and I don't do it. I've done that before. I've kind of made promises about doing podcast about prepositions or intonation and I know I've still got to do those and I've got ideas about them I just haven't developed them yet um, it's just a question of time so I'm kind of a bit cautious about telling people what I'm going to do I should probably just shut up and just do it and then you'll enjoy it but just trust me there are still things in the pipeline I've got other projects on the way and possibly some sort of music show I might do a music little, little music radio show possibly with my brother. We did one episode of that recently, which you can find by going onto my Facebook page, Luke's English Podcast on Facebook. And if you look at all the links on that page, you'll see the Jim and Luke music show, which uh, we recorded together not long ago. And that's where we sort of play some a kind of varied mix of different types of music, some electronic music, um, little bits of um, sort of, um, I, I don't know, sort of other stuff, 
I suppose. So you can check that out. There might be some more music related podcasts in the future too. Um, and various other bits and pieces, odds and ends. Um, you might have seen recently that I uh, uploaded uh, another video onto YouTube and that was about the royal family. That's when I went into town again with my camera and videoed some interviews with people in the street. And I asked them um, about the royal family. What did they think of the UK royal family? And I got various opinions. So check that out on YouTube. Um, and um, there will be more stuff of that nature on its way in the future. That's pretty much it, ladies and gentlemen. So have yourselves a lovely day, a lovely night, lovely weekend, lovely morning, whatever it is you're doing, wherever you are. Uh, I understand that some people out there listen to this podcast while they're going to sleep. Well, what a lovely idea that is. Um, I actually have some episodes lined up in the future. Again, I'm not promising anything, but these are just ideas I've got in my head. I want to do some kind of episode about, like, how to, you know, falling asleep. So, um, you know, some people have trouble sleeping and they listen to recordings of people sort of saying, you're feeling very sleepy, very tired. Your eyelids are getting heavier and heavier. You know, that kind of thing to help you fall asleep. I want to do one of those things with Luke's English podcast so you can listen to it while you fall asleep. And then after you've fallen asleep, after about half an hour, I'll like talk about grammar and stuff. So you'll be sort of subconsciously learning about grammar while you're asleep. So, that, you know, I'm going to do one of those as well, a slightly hypnotic episode where I'll hypnotise you into a sleepy state and then sort of go through all the different verb tenses and explain them all. And then you'll understand them all when you wake up. It's a brilliant idea, don't you think? It's a genius idea. I think it is, uh, folks, I really do. Um, so, yeah, I'm still sort of winding down this episode, but I'm still managing to keep going, which is quite good. Um, every now and then on the podcast or every now and then on Twitter or Facebook I write a status update saying that I'm performing comedy um, and uh, I will actually be performing more comedy in the next few months or weeks. Um, later on in May I'm performing at the Brighton Comedy Festival. Uh, we're doing four days uh, running at a place called the Temple Bar and I believe our show begins at about seven o'clock. Um, something like the oh I can't remember the date so I'm gonna have to look at my I'm gonna have to look at my diary here just bear with me um, mm, 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 where is my diary okay it's probably gonna be on Google so okay just opening the diary here folks uh, just bear with me just bear with me it's an interesting expression that isn't it just bear with me because um, obviously it just means wait while I do something you know, just bear with me while I check the date, you know. Um, but bear, you know, I guess bear means wait, but it also means it's an animal, isn't it? It's a kind of animal, like a big animal. So sometimes when people say that on the telephone, like, uh, oh, yeah, sorry, just bear with me while I check the details, I kind of go, what, there's a bear with you? There's a bear in the, in the office? Get out! Um, but I usually don't. I manage to kind of keep myself cool, um, which is good, I suppose. Um, I can't bloody well get the... Oh, I know where to go. Dashboard. Okay, here we go. Here's the calendar. It's about to open. Come on, dashboard. Hurry up. Okay, so May. Uh, Thanks for listening to this oh, hello. Okay. Can you hear that? Well, you know what's just happened there, don't you? That is the uh, that's the end jingle from the previous episode. The last episode finished at about 38 minutes. So that's where the jingle was, and I just left it there uh, in, the, in the track. So that's now, you'll, you'll, you'll probably be able to hear that in the background now. But uh, anyway, never mind. I'll, I'll just... I mean, I can't edit that out. So it's just, it's just the way that we do things here at Luke's English Podcast. We just keep it raw. We keep it sort of fresh. It's real. You know what I mean? Um, so, OK, the dates that when we're performing in Brighton at the Temple Bar uh, in Brighton, uh, we are performing on the 20, 21st, 22nd, 23rd and 24th of May at uh, the Temple in Brighton from approximately 7 o'clock uh, for an hour. You will be able to see the stand-up comedy talents of uh, Mr Paul Langton, Mr Alex Love and myself, Luke Thompson, performing stand-up comedy before your very astonished faces. Um, and so if you're in the area, come on, come along and uh, check out the show. Uh, you might have a bit of a laugh. 
Uh, we've been performing stand-up comedy for about three years now, and this is the third year that we do the Brighton Comedy Festival with a show called Snigger Happy. Um, so come on down and check it out if you fancy it, uh, if you want to have a bit of a laugh. I will, I intend, anyway, I intend to do some podcasts with Paul and Alex while... I'm out in Brighton. We're going to be staying in a hostel together. So we're going to hopefully record some uh, interesting podcasts for you to listen to in the future. So you can look forward to that. And I've reached now the 40-minute mark on this podcast. And I think considering I gave myself a half an hour limit, I think that's a pretty good place to call it a day. So let's call it a day here. And that's the end of this episode of Luke's English Podcast. What am I going to call it? Oh, dear. I've no idea what I'm going to call this episode. So let's see. I, mean, I guess I'm going to I'm not going to say call it a day because that sounds like I'm going to stop, you know, stop doing it. Because if you call it a day, it just means that you finish, you know, finish what you're doing. So at the end of a meeting, for example, you'd say, right, let's call it a day, meaning let's finish the meeting. So um, I, I don't know, maybe maybe I'll just go back to this bottle of green tea, which I've got here on the on the coffee table in front of me, this lovely bottle of Japanese green tea. Uh, which uh, I enjoyed earlier on. And I think that, I suppose what I'm trying to say is, you know, we should all just maybe just put down the guns and, you know, just put down the, the weapons and just pick up a bottle of green tea and just have a drink together and, you know, just uh, just think about better times when uh, all you need is a simple uh, uh, bottle of a, a refreshing beverage uh, and just peace among men. And I think that that's, you know, that's the real thing. I'm not, that's not the, you know, Coke, they say Coke is the real thing. For me, the real thing is, is a nice tea, maybe a bottle of green tea or a nice cup of English breakfast tea with milk and maybe a little spoonful of sugar. That's really what makes the world go round, in my opinion. So I suppose I'm going to call, if I'm going to call this the cup of tea episode, I mean, that's not really... It's not really appropriate because I'm not drinking a cup of tea and I haven't really talked about tea enough except for the old bottle of green tea uh, that I... And just, I suppose this is in memory to the wonderful hot bottles of green tea which I used to get from Tsujido Station kiosk uh, in the mornings on my way to work when I lived in Japan. And I used to love getting that tea and I'd sit on the train uh, and I'd go on the, what is it, Tokaido line to um, Ofuna. And then change on the Yokosuka line, I think it was called, and uh, go through Kamakura to Zushi, which is where I worked. And I worked at a school called Nova in uh, Japan. And Nova is kind of um, infamous as a language school, particularly in Japan. I'm not that proud that I worked at Nova, to be honest, but that was sort of 10 years ago now. That was my first English teaching job. Um, 10 years ago I worked at Nova which is a huge kind of corporate language school and they had branches in cities all over Japan and they were a bit like McDonald's you know the way that there's always a McDonald's in every city well Nova was like that there was always a, a Nova school near the station and so they were kind of a huge sort of uh, McDonald's style corporation and it felt to be honest like I was working at the McDonald's School of English when I worked there because you know you did you did you would teach sort of nine lessons a day. Each lesson was about 45 minutes. So it would be like really sort of getting the people through, getting the English lessons out really quickly and as efficiently as you can. I used to see loads of different students every day. And so, you know, it was all right. But the school were a bit sort of old-fashioned, I suppose, in their teaching style. They, they sort of pushed the kind of listen and repeat kind of style of, of teaching, whereas I prefer to do a more communicative approach um, but, you know, we the teachers in my school, we used to break the rules and we would all teach in our own sort of our own way. And so I found it really interesting. It was really a chance for me to just learn how to teach English properly and to sort of develop my own personal style of teaching. I really sort of cut my teeth working in, in Nova in Zushi in Japan. You know, there were, I remember in my first year of teaching when I had no experience, I had some really difficult lessons where I just couldn't... I just didn't know what to do. I, was, I remember having no time to prepare was the worst thing. Genuinely no time to prepare at all. Ten minutes. So like the, the first lesson would end, there would be a bell, which is like the, they'd use the melody of Big Ben. So it would be like, ding, 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 ding. 
And then when that bell went off, that would be like the end of the lesson and you've got 10 minutes before the beginning of your next lesson. So you'd be like, right, well, thanks very much. Um, it was great to, great to see you. See you, see you next time. Um, that's the end of the lesson. Okay, bye. And you'd sort of rush out of the lesson and into the teacher's room. And then you would um, have files, which were reports for all the students. So after each lesson, you have to write like a report of what they did and and their performance. You have to write a report for each student. So there'd be like three reports. You write them all really quickly, put the files back in the right position, depending on their number, and then look on the wall at the names for your next lesson and pick out those files. So pick out those three people, check the file, see all the lessons that they've already done. Um, and just so find the lessons that they haven't done pick a lesson that they haven't yet done look in the book find the course book look at the lesson that you're going to do pick up all the other files and the book and go into class and start teaching all in all in just 10 minutes and you used to have to do that about eight times a day sometimes teaching kids so the bell would go and you're just surrounded by kids on the floor with all the pens and the paper everywhere you've got to pack it all up to together get the kids out of the room rush upstairs and back into another lesson which would often be with like a group of sort of businessmen suddenly you're in a room with three businessmen and i'm sitting there sweating covered in sweat covered in in pen because the kids have coloured my shirt with their pens and now I have to teach them some business English. So it's just kind of uh, pretty crazy, a bit ridiculous really those days. But it was really good training for my teaching and it kind of helped me to think on my feet and uh, I really sort of got a sense of just how to, you kind of just work it out as you go along and just uh, respond, just listening I think is maybe the most important thing. Just listen to your students. Um, I I can't um, stress that enough really I think for us teachers the main thing is we need to give the students opportunities to speak uh, give them the words that they need to do it and then just listen to them because as a learner of a language that's really what you want is just someone to sit there and encourage you and just let you talk to them and if you listen to the students really carefully you can pick up on all their mistakes and you should write down all their errors every error that they make and then when you go through the feedback stage you go through all the errors and you kind of upgrade everything so you take the mistakes they've made and you change them into good grammar but not just that you push it an extra bit further which is into the realm of sort of natural English so um, you're not only correcting the mistakes they make but you're sort of upgrading the English or uh, sort of um, let's say kind of pimping the English to make it sound much more natural by inserting all the natural expressions and things really really good way of dealing with grammar in a remedial way and then on top of the grammar you can add sort of vocab because often it's not just grammar that we use to structure our sentences but sort of lexical chunks or phrases of vocabulary are extremely important and I think if anyone who listens to Luke's English podcast will certainly I imagine will you will now after have listened after having listened to a number of the episodes in which I give you advice on how to use the podcast to improve your English I imagine that most of you out there now are listening really carefully for those chunks of language or those phrases those kinds of uh, lexical uh, chunks as it were so that was one there just as it were or I mean I've used um, I've used lots of different expressions in this episode so I mean people often ask me about prepositions and they say what's the answer well I mean I have to do an episode about prepositions but in brief um, I suppose prepositions are kind of they're, they tend to be used in combination with other words so they're kind of collocations basically so you have uh you should think of it like that, that there are combinations of prepositions with nouns, prepositions and adjectives, or prepositions and verbs. So often prepositions and verbs will be like phrasal verbs, like to get up or to, to you know throw up or get off with someone. Those are all sort of phrasal verbs. But then you also have uh, adjectives and prepositions, so interested in, good at... And that's where you get into the realm of lexical chunks because you get interested in, and then the ing form, interested in doing something, good at, and then the ing form. So you tend to find that these adjective preposition um, chunks are followed by an ing form. 
So I'm good at doing it, I'm interested in doing it, and I'm into doing it, that sort of thing. Um, so you could just be aware of how the words all link up together and giving people feedback and introducing more natural phrases is a really good way of doing that. Um, so, you know, that's it. So if you're an, a sort of diligent student, if you're observant, observant and you're a good listener, then you will pick up various phrases from listening to Luke's English podcast. If you're a teacher, then you will, I imagine, sort of listen to your students carefully. Um, I think that probably there are two ways of, of, of learning uh, English using this podcast. One is just to listen to it um, in a kind of open-minded way, just sort of follow what I'm saying and just enjoy the content and stuff. And the other way would be to sort of examine the language a bit more carefully. Uh, one way to do that is to try and transcribe a section of the podcast. So you would like listen to five minutes, maybe the first five minutes of the episode, and just try to write down word for word everything that I say. And that starts to help you clarify some expressions because suddenly you see the words laid out in front of you on the page and you start to put them together. You might be able to draw circles around them or underline certain things, start to notice things about the tenses that I'm using, start to notice the way that I use different structures and different combinations of words. When you see them written down, for many people, they're kind of visual learners. They learn by looking at words and imagining the, the, the word chunks and actually seeing the words in their mind. I think a lot of people learn words by reading them. And in fact, this probably accounts for the fact that uh, many people use words in, with the wrong pronunciation. Many uh, learners of English that I meet, they, they pronounce a word just by the way it's read. And so I think that means that they've probably learnt the word by reading it. Um, I mean, I, I expect that... There may be that it may be that um, people learn by reading mainly because it's kind of easier to read. For example, if you're in a another country where you don't have access to native speakers, um, and maybe you don't listen to English radio or or very much English on TV, then you're probably going to pick up most of your English by reading it. But nowadays, with the internet and podcasts, and you know Luke's English podcast, you can learn your English by actually hearing it as well. And I don't, you know, I can't recommend that highly enough. I think it's extremely good for your English if you listen to um, sort of extended bits of audio like this. Um, I mean, you could listen to radio from the BBC or something, and that's great. But none of those uh, bits of audio are. Um, at once, on one hand, kind of totally authentic and natural and not graded, really, just sort of just natural um, sort of discourse. And on the other hand, aimed at learners of English so that the topics I'm talking about and the way that I approach the, 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 the things I talk about and the, the way I explain things and the sort of pictures that I can conjure up with my language are, are all aimed at learners of English in order to present the English language to them so that they can literally sort of like pick the expressions and pick the language away from it it's like what it's like exactly like a sushi bar this it's amazing i can't believe i've just realized this i think luke's english podcast is the sort of english audio version of a japanese rotary style sushi bar because the inner sushi bar you sit there at the counter and the sushi on plates comes slowly comes past you on these plates and it just keeps coming and coming and whenever you like something you can just take it off the conveyor belt sit there and eat it and in the same way luke's english podcast just keeps coming past just keeps coming through as you listen to it goes through your ears like that and it's just a succession of phrases in english and words and tenses and bits of grammar and pronunciation and you can just pick whichever bits that you like and just store them and just use them yourselves i think it's the the a really great great way of doing it of course you should study as well you should you know use your grammar books and do your your studies and exercises and things too and in combination with those things of course try and speak wherever possible just make as many efforts to just continue speaking to people you know use your opportunities you have you might need to sign up to a conversation class or something um, if and if you have absolutely no one to speak to you can always speak to yourself you could try recording yourself or you could even have a stupid sort of dialogue where you but you're both people you know i mean i you know i I th I think that's possible. Like, for example, you could go, all right, mate, all right, how's it going? 
Not bad, thanks. What have you been up to? Oh, not much. I just did a bit of shopping today and, uh, you know, it's raining, so I got really wet. Uh, what about you? Yeah, me too. I kind of stayed in because it was so wet outside. I just didn't want to go outside. It's it's quite chilly at this time of year, isn't it? Yeah, you're right, it is. I think, um, well, it's, it's April and we had a sort of warm spell in March, but uh, it's just terrible again, isn't it? Yeah, I can't stand this cold weather. You know what I mean? You could do that. I mean, there, there's a danger, of course, that if you do that, then you might become a bit mental you know you might become a bit of a nutter or something uh but if it's you've got no choice then you have to do it just don't let people catch you talking to yourself like that what you should probably do is find someone grab them pull them into your to your room and then have a conversation with them and just try and use all the english that you've got in your head as a result of luke's english podcast i think as well i think what would be a really good idea is if you're young i mean if when you're young you learn language incredibly easily incredibly quickly you just soak it up like a sponge so if you've got like teenage kids or something get them to listen to luke's english podcast as well and they'll just soak it all up i mean i'm sure that there are people out there i've had messages from people who say that their pronunciation is improved just from listening to luke's english podcast and if you listen to some of the entries to the competitions i had in the last few episodes you'll see that there are some people out there who've got really natural sounding accents um just a note on the competition actually i'm really really glad that um that uh, people have been voting for their favourite competition entries. I think it's going really, really well. And uh, don't forget that the voting closes on the 16th of May. Uh, that's this year, 2012, of course. And so keep voting for those by adding your comments. And uh, we will, I will count them all up on the 16th of May and we'll see who wins. And whoever does gets the dictionary. So I think that pretty much wraps us up for this episode. It's either going to be called the Green Tea episode or the... the uh, Let's see the the rotary sushi uh, wrote the rotary sushi bar of English. I think that might be what it's going to be called. The Rotary Sushi Bar of English. That's what Luke's English podcast is. Just like the way in a Rotary Sushi Bar, the food comes round. The green tea is there, of course. So I haven't forgotten about the green tea. But the, the sushi comes comes past you on a conveyor belt and you can just feel free to just pick whichever pieces you like. In the same way in Luke's English podcast, the English just comes rolling past you uh, in a stream of consciousness and you can just pick out whichever bits of language language you see uh, fit to to choose and uh, you can go on to use them you can transcribe portions of the podcast uh, which will help you to visualize the words and then pick them up as well and uh, don't forget if you do transcribe uh, parts of the podcast you can send those transcriptions to me and I will use them by posting them for other people to to read I think that would be a really great way of sharing um, you know the learning experience using Luke's English podcast so thanks very very much for listening to this episode I gave myself a 30 minute target and I think it was only after 30 minutes that I really hit my stride and uh, managed to just keep uh, keep somehow talking about not nothing in particular but I, I love the analogy of the sushi the rotary sushi bar of English uh, idea I think I'm particularly pleased with that so I'm going to go with that as the title so it's another one of those rambling episodes I'm going to see if I can just make this stop almost dead on one hour um, I can't remember how long my jingle is at the end but I think I'm pretty much about I'd say I'm about a minute and a half uh, maybe sort of one minute and 50 seconds away from managing to land this episode on exactly 60 minutes. Uh, so let's see if I can keep doing it and see if I can keep it insightful until the end. I know that I just, uh, I believe I just picked up some kind of message here. Yes, I did. I got a message. Someone has posted a comment on London Native English Speaker Interviews Part 2. And it says, ah, vi uh, this is uh, Dethroned318 who says... Um, Ah, visited London recently, absolutely amazing. And the accent, oh my God, I just love it. Wish I could live there. Hey, any guys from London want to marry me? Lol, I'm nice, I promise. Well, thank you, Dethrone318, for that comment on one of my... Uh 
my podcast videos on uh, the YouTube channel. Lovely to get uh, comments like that. Um, it's glad. It's very pleasing to know that there are people out there who are enjoying the fruits of my labour from uh, either YouTube or Podomatic or Facebook or whatever it is. And so as we roll now into the final stages of this episode of Luke's English Podcast, I've managed to keep talking for 59 minutes and 10 seconds now, ladies and gentlemen, so I only have about four, 35 seconds left to just keep on rolling until the very end. I reckon my jingle is about 10 seconds long. So if I I manage to stop doing this at 59 minutes and f- sort of 50 seconds, so that's in about uh, 20 seconds time, then I think it'll be a really perfect ending just to allow the whole thing to draw to a natural close, to just end with a sort of final, uh, sort of conclusive uh, ending point at the end when we reach the uh, the 60 minute mark which i think will come up now thanks very much again for listening to the podcast bye 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 thanks for listening to this episode of luke's english podcast don't forget to visit teacherluke.podomatic.com for more information